0: The music of Wayne Kramer. Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our March 10th, 2011 edition of the show. 4.09 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's Facebook.com. Back with us today to share more of his forensic journalism findings as applied to some of the big issues of the day is Russ Baker. Regular listeners to the show will remember his previous uh, appearances here to discuss his groundbreaking and shocking book. Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and The Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Russ is an award-winning investigative journalist who has written for The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The New York Times, The Nation, The Los Angeles Times, The Washington Post, the Village Voice and Esquire. He served as a contributing editor to the uh, Columbia Journalism Review and is the founder of WhoWhatWhy.com, a nonpartisan, nonprofit news website. Russ Baker, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Robert. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's always good to have you. Always exciting. Always get great feedback on the uh, Russ Baker uh, editions of the show here. So, um, yeah, in your uh, recent uh, Who, What, Why article, Wisconsin, Meet the Military, you point out the absurdity of all the discussion of excessive government spending that fails even uh, to suggest the monstrous Military budget. Could you mention some of these numbers that most media commentators and both political parties find so easy to ignore?
1: Sure. In this article, which you can find on our website www dot who what why dot com, um, uh, I uh, talk about an um, an essay by uh, someone who uh, works in that area of assessing. Uh, budgets and 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 uh, including military budgets, uh, so center budget priorities, uh, and he tap- tabulated things. Uh, you know, they, there are certain numbers bandied about for the. Uh, with, you see, the problem is what he called it, the defense budget, the national security budget, the military budget. It's hard to know even what it is and what to call it and what that constitutes, but those numbers generally being around, oh say, $700 billion. Uh, but then he adds all these other things up and comes up with closer to $1.2 trillion uh, and then keeps going, pointing out that there are military-related expenditures by... State Department uh, by the other departments and of course Department of Homeland Security. Uh, So it's an enormous amount of money, so big that I don't think any of us have any idea what that number actually means. Uh, But one of the things I was struck by, I decided to figure out, well, I wonder how much we spend on education. I went online and I could not find that number that easily. Uh, I'm surprised that there aren't more comparisons being done. Uh, I saw numbers for, let's say, K through 12. But I thought, well, what do we, you know, or public schools, but I thought, well, what do we spend on education just all together in this country? Uh, Because that seems to be an interesting interesting thing to measure a society's values by and the number that i saw i have to go back and look again at the article but i think it was again it was about 1.1 trillion so essentially we're spending about one dollar for every dollar we spend on education we spend a dollar for this so-called defense and of course uh, it's not clear how a lot of that defends us a lot of it goes to these militaries and, and, and countries that are now uh, where the governments are being overthrown, uh, a lot of it goes into wasteful projects where even the Pentagon itself says they don 't want it. but uh, as you know, Robert, there are uh, literally uh, companies in every single one of the uh, congressional districts in the country getting these uh, these military contracts so it 's woven entirely. Uh, into our economy, and and so what you were talking about. I mean, it is very interesting uh, that these people are out there, all the signs, you know, complaining about uh, the waste in government and how their tax dollars are being used, but they only seem bothered by programs that that really affect. And, and benefit uh, ordinary Americans, <laughs> and they don't—they just don't seem to talk about this at all.
0: Yeah, this sort of uh, like welfare for the military-industrial-intelligence uh, establishment, and, I mean, certainly we need some of that, but it, it, there's, there's this, as you p- pointed out quite clearly in your book, Family of Secrets, and elsewhere, there there is this establishment, and these things just kind of move themselves along and are self-perpetuating, and these people have vested interest, and there's... Money and power and and these things that are not necessarily in our best interest and often quite contrary to it and but in and all this discussion now you you i I never see anybody just say, Well what about uh let's just cut twenty percent of our foreign military bases let's let's get rid of those or let's uh you, you know uh foreign aid let's maybe just cut that back uh ten twenty percent and it is this being discussed anywhere that you're seeing in mainstream media or the halls of Congress?
1: Uh, very little discussion of it. There's always a little bit uh, on the Hill. But the fact that the public just doesn't seem interested in this. I mean, I, I'm not an expert in this area, but aren't there supposed to be something like a thousand bases around the world? And, and depending on the numbers you see, there are American bases in somewhere between, say, 60 and 100 and some countries. Uh, and you have to ask. I mean, really, what does that mean? I mean, are we the policemen of the world? And, and what does that mean? I mean, given that 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 we you know we're we're, we're protecting people like the Saudi regime and uh, Mubarak's regime up until now, uh, what, you know, what does that mean? What does that commitment mean? Uh, and is that all benefiting us? Is that benefiting the values that we say we espouse? And of course, just from a purely financial standpoint, as you as you mentioned. Uh, uh, you know, anybody who's seriously concerned about deficits has got to look at all items. And I know personally, if I'm trying to cut my costs, the first thing I do is I look and I say, what are the biggest expense categories? I don't go looking at what are the smallest ones. Or saying like, hey, you know what? I think I'll cut out uh, groceries. You know, that that sounds like a good thing. You know, the first thing I would do is I'd say, are there big expenses that I'm not sure I necessarily need, even though I'm being told uh, that I need them? And so that kind of Fair-minded assessment seems almost completely lacking, and and I'm just struck by the fact that these uh, these elected officials who, who champion uh, a budget cutting just don't talk about it at all, and these these movements like the Tea Party just completely uninterested in this, and I, I don't know how you could be so selective about it. I I just don't understand that.
0: It, well, and I think you, you make mention in your your article, or you alluded to it here just a few minutes ago about that. Uh, It's sort of broken down as far as this military spending goes that there are beneficiaries, bits and pieces of it, in each congressional district. And uh, is that how this is done and and, and so that everybody is getting a little piece of it so that they don't want to speak out against it? How does this work that this is just so completely taken off the table?
1: Well, that's exactly how it works. You see, because the thing is, it's basically a kind of a blackmail that is held over every member of Congress, because, uh, you see, if, if you've got uh, something in your district, uh, how can you possibly advocate getting rid of that and losing those jobs? And so if you do, an, oppo- an opponent is just going to appear, even if you've got a safe seat. I mean, suddenly somebody's going to appear, and they say, our congressman wants to cut jobs in our district, and that it would be true uh, if the person opposed it. But if they didn't, uh if they you know uh i mean john boehner for example uh, i understand uh uh is talking about the need to cut all of these things but doesn't want to cut things in his own district uh you know and he's the he's the republican leader so i mean this isn't just a problem it's a it's a political problem and it puts them in a kind of a catch twenty two and i I do think that's deliberate um in in family of secrets, you know, I go all the way back through the Bush family and their uh, friends, and you see them uh, involved in, for example, this company Remington Arms, where uh, before the U.S. gets into World War One, they're selling rifles to both sides. Uh, so, you know, they're making money that way, and then uh, they begin pushing for the U.S. to get involved, where, again, there's tremendous uh, additional contracts for this stuff. So, I mean, this is a, a very, very profitable business for them. Uh, a lot of it is is either no bid or close to that. There really isn't a uh, 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 there isn't accountability on almost any level, and so I, I do think it's fair. And I think you know I've talked to plenty of people who who are in the military uh, or involved with making decisions on these, these things, and they a lot of them too also think that this is welfare for the rich. That that this whole game because it's also complicated, and and who feels qualified to judge whether a particular uh, a missile system works well, or if something is needed or how many planes are needed, of course, none of us would would dare do that. and of course, what you know what really qualifications do we have to say uh, what's needed in the educational system or what is the correct amount uh, 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 of compensation that somebody ought to receive uh, even to be able to to stay above the poverty line? I mean all of those things are actually very complicated. Now, of course, most of us will say, well, I spend, you know, X amount per day uh, for lunch and for this and for that. And so I think these people ought to be able to live on less. We, we can't do that with this military thing. And so this is the problem. How do you begin discussing this in an intelligent way and where do you turn? And, and I think the media does a terrible job. And it's just terrible because it just you know they they start saying oh my gosh this is too complicated you know it's too technical people are going to get bored they're not going to pay attention and they just drop it and 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 you know one of the reasons uh, Robert that I started who what com, our our new you know investigative news site is because we want to try uh, with 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 the funding from public supporters to go after these more complicated questions, try to understand them, and then find a way to tell those stories in a compelling and, dare I say, actually even somewhat entertaining fashion. I think there's a way to do that. I mean, it's like it's like the difference between bad teachers, good teachers, uh, bad college professors and good ones. Uh, the bad ones just, you know, drone on and on in a kind of a monotone. And the interesting ones always, they, they, they always have something kind of frisky up their sleeve. You know, they always have something. think, fun and unpredictable to say and to do and to get us involved. And I think you could probably do the same uh, with military budgets. You could have, you know, military budget, I don't know, coloring books, you could have (laughs) contests, you could have, uh, you could give people real life choices and, you know, give them the the track records of particular things and show them what what they actually do and what they achieve and let people decide if they think these these things are good or not.
0: Well, you make a point that most of us are not experts on these things like military spending and, and, but it seems that, that the problem... Problem often is is that when the discussion is taking place in the media or in the halls of Congress, you have maybe just a very small group of experts, often with a vested interest or, or a certain way of thinking. And I, I think it just we need to expand that group of experts, uh, uh, not just this sort of clique who often has much to gain by telling us. A, a uh, just a certain angle of, of the truth is is that not
1: correct? Well, that's that's well put, and uh, we we need in, in in we in the media need to uh, need to vet the experts better. You know, when 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 uh, when these television networks put these uh, uh, consultants, these former generals on, I mean, what they don't say is oh, most. Military people, they, they retire at an age far younger than the rest of us do. They're right in the prime of their lives, and what do they do? I mean, what, what kind of job do you get when you were in the military? Well, if you were well-connected or at a relatively high position, you get offered jobs in the military-industrial complex with these very companies. And so when you're in there, you understand that it is in your interest to make friends in these companies. Uh, And when you leave, you know, that's what you're doing. And so, uh, you know, are these the best people? You know, I I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking people who have to make strategic and tactical decisions uh, their thinking. But I think that we have to be more careful in who we ask. And we have to try to figure out, are they... Do they, yeah, do they have an agenda? Uh, do they have a dog in the fight? Um, you know, there are, there are going to be some military people who left the military and maybe teach and don't do consulting or are not compensated or don't hold a big blocks of stock. Uh, you know, in these in these corporations that benefit from this, and 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 furthermore, you they don't have to be in the military to be able to understand these things. There's lots of academics, there's lots of people in think tanks, and then we got to look at the think tanks. We have to say, <laughs> is that particular think tank funded by these companies, or or is it not? And it's not easy work to even do the vetting, but uh, I think we owe it to the public to do that kind of thing.
0: And you certainly are uh, our guest today, Russ Baker, and you can find his writings at whowhatwhy.com. And you also really owe it to yourself to check out his book, Family of Secrets, if you have not. Uh, That's Family of Secrets, the Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. And I know many of you listening to this show do look into things a little more deeply than what is presented to you by the mainstream media, but in Family Secrets, you're Family of secrets. You're really going to find some things that are are hard to find elsewhere, but they are well documented. And uh, Russ has it's it's about 500 pages, about 50 pages of footnotes, and so uh, you know, Russ, everybody, I've. Uh, turned this on to this book, has been uh, quite uh, grateful, uh, a little bit disturbed at times, but, but wow, f- just just for the information that is so hard to find elsewhere. And so, you know, really appreciate the work that you're doing and continuing to do at Who, What, Why. And um, we um, I wanted to talk a little bit more today about uh, what's going on in the... Uh, Arab world at large, and we have uh, these uprisings going on that we alluded to uh, a little bit earlier here in the show. And uh, the uh, w- there is something you had an article that was uh, really uh, about this character, um, what was his name? Alibi, and this t- ties into what's going on in. Uh, uh, Libya, but I remember reading this uh, this story in 2009. Uh, the man, even uh, Sheikh al Libi, who supposedly committed suicide. I mean, I made note of it and put it in a sort of growing file of names of people whose deaths turned out to be you know, somewhat convenient for the Bush family and their agenda. And so, in uh, this piece, you had recently. Uh, it relates to what's going on now. Could you talk a little bit about that and in, in, uh, Alibi's death and how this relates back to uh, um, Gaddafi?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, this 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 man was was uh, I mean he was a jihadist uh, uh, in that sense. Uh, I think a fair equivalent uh, would be people who are uh, of Irish or Jewish extraction who support. Movements back in the you know the homeland, and uh, uh, he uh, Alibi Al- is his is his nom de guerre. This is uh, what they do; they take another name than they're commonly known as back home. Uh, and so he was in Afghanistan. He was captured uh, uh, after the U.S. invasion there, uh, and he was uh, he was uh, handed over. He was uh, uh, basically sent uh, to Egypt where he was uh, then tortured by the Egyptian authorities. And then he uh, basically sort of uh, confessed uh, some information that was used uh, to justify the invasion of Iraq. Uh, But his information, it turns out, uh, was, was false. And he told his captors that because he was trying to get them to stop torturing him. Now, this information that he provided then was one of the key things that the Bush administration used to justify the invasion. So he's a very important figure, and of course uh, his ability to testify and explain how this whole process works uh, uh, is crucial to our coming to terms with the whole question of what the heck are we doing in Iraq in the first place, and and you know what did the Bush-Cheney administration actually know, what did they actually think? uh and why did they you know want us to go in there uh, and so he was a very important figure um, eventually uh, he was he was freed and he was sent back to Libya uh, where he ended up then being jailed and it's very interesting of course because of the. US has this extremely complex, relationship with Qaddafi, uh, who was a U.S. enemy for many years and then sort of turned over a new leaf and became much friendlier and co- more cooperative with the U.S., has been in that stance now for a number of years. Uh, and so, so uh, uh, Alibi's uh, detention uh, uh, in Libya uh, during a period when Qaddafi had warmed up considerably with the U.S. Uh, uh, is in itself a very, very interesting uh, factor. And then we see uh, uh, during a period when again his testimony would have been very very useful. He then supposedly commits suicide while in Libyan custody. And so the point I make in the article on who what why is this is interesting. This man uh, uh, is one of just well, there's really him, and then there's this fellow, this so-called curveball, uh, 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 this 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 uh, uh, this Iraqi who gave a a Supposed evidence about uh, weapons of mass destruction. There, well, Curveball was different because Curveball was part of the uh, false propaganda effort. But but this guy Alibi is different because he was he was he was not voluntary. He was coerced into basically providing lies that they then used uh, in speeches and so forth. And so he he's al- he was almost unique as a witness to what really went down in this period, and and so important. And so the fact that there is no investigation of his death uh... in libyan custody is very very interesting and i and, and i do think that we need to do some reporting on it i'd love to do that at who why i'd love to send uh... it'd be a little tricky right now but at some point send some reporters over to libya and try to get to the bottom of what really did happen in the circumstances around his death was that something where Gaddafi was doing a favor for uh... elements in the u.s. government i mean it, you at least want to wonder about that and you want to do that reporting again that the public is owed that kind of deep digging
0: Right, I mean he he may very well as reported have committed suicide but um you know you have to wonder w- was there something else going on was he he murdered uh, was uh his, because ha- if he was still we're still alive now uh, he could give us some information that would be uh, very embarrassing to all of those people who uh sent us off to war and used his uh his uh information that was garnered through torture and and it's so it, we have now the mainstream media uh, r- reporting on on what 's going on over there with the in the Arab world and you have uh, Mubarak uh, out of power now thrown out, and you have uh, um, Gaddafi in, in trouble now, maybe going to be overthrown and they just kind of reported as sort of bad guys and well. Mubarak was a bad guy, but he kind of was our ally, so, but Gaddafi, he's a bad guy. But none of this, I, I don't hear this about that. Mubarak was very integral to our uh, Extraordinary Rendition program, and that it was one of the destinations where the people we kidnapped were sent to be tortured, and and seems to be what happened with Alibi, and then uh, this whole thing of uh, him dying in custody in Libya, and that being very convenient, and and this is just... uh, no, no mention of this anywhere in mainstream media. Have you heard that anywhere out there? Other <laughs>
1: Very, very little about this. But you see, you don't hear about any of these stories. Here's a related one. Uh, as you know, Robert, from reading my book, Family of Secrets, uh, one of the uh, you know huge number of revelations in there that have been almost entirely ignored by the mainstream media, here's one that I, I had interviewed, uh, a man named Mickey Herskowitz, who is a, uh, a well-known uh, author, ghostwriter, journalist, a columnist journalism professor now from texas uh, who had written uh, more than 20 books with famous people was friendly with bush fa- the bush family particularly bush 41 it was uh, uh made uh, uh, to to be co-author with george w bush on a on a campaign book back in 1999 when when he was when w was running for president and in the course of that uh... Uh, sitting with Bush and trying to come up with material for the book, wanting him to talk about what his hopes and aspirations for being president, Bush having trouble thinking of anything that he intended to do as president, uh, trying to hand it off to Karl Rove, and then Mickey pushing him for some authentic expressions of passion so that they'd have something for a book. And then in, suddenly, in an unguarded moment, Bush telling him, I'll tell you one thing I'm going to do. If I get a chance, I'm not going to do it with my dad. And if I can, I am going to invade Iraq. Now this is a pretty darn big revelation that candidate George W. Bush before 2003 <laughs> before serious discussion of the weapons of mass destruction then before 2001 before the trumped up connections with uh al-Qaeda and uh, 9/11 uh, before Bush was even elected president all the way back when he wasn't even the Republican nominee he already wanted to do it and he wanted a basis for that. And then now we have along comes Donald Rumsfeld with his new book just came out and Rumsfeld is out there talking, in his book, he has this little mysterious thing where he says, yeah, you know, and then shortly after, uh, after 9-11, we were focused on what we could do about al-Qaeda and, and what we should do about Afghanistan, where they were supposedly holed up. And then Bush calls me in, and we meet alone, and he starts pressing me, I want you to look at Iraq, I want you to see what we can do about Iraq and Saddam Hussein. And, and, And Rumsfeld claims in his book, I think, disingenuously to have no idea why Bush is pushing him on Iraq. He says, we were busy focusing in other areas. You know, the fact that the Secretary of Defense would not even be curious, uh, he, of course, has a long track record going all the way back with the Bush family. You read about that in Family of Secrets all the way back to 1975 when Rumsfeld was working for President Gerald Ford, and he and, 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 and a young Dick Cheney were part of this sort of internal coup where they basically forced Ford to bring in uh, Bush 41, George H.W. Bush, and make him the CIA director. So, so Rumsfeld is hardly a naif. You know, he, he does know what's going on with this stuff. But he's anyway, in his book, he claims to be surprised uh, by Bush saying, let's look at Iraq. But that is interesting, because at least there's a, let's say, a kernel of truth, even if he's being disingenuous. He's saying even he found it obvious that Bush was pushing early on. To go into Iraq now. Now that story has almost been skipped. Uh, I noticed that uh, uh, at least the New York Times briefly focused on it. They did, it wasn't the headline, but they did focus on it. And and the Washington Post didn't even mention it at all in their in their review of that book. I thought that was extraordinary.
0: Yeah. Anything else in in Rumsfeld's book that uh, really struck you? I don't know if you've read it or just read you know, excerpts I, I from it. I have
1: not read it. I mean, my problem is that I, I work such long hours and I've got to be writing. Pieces for who, what, why, uh, and I'm still out there being interviewed about Family of Secrets, and I've got to be growing our our, our non profit and all of that. And, and I read a tremendous amount, but I, I try to read, you know, history and 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 deep. You know, forensic and technical materials, and so if I were if I were to read in full, uh, you know, I tried to read Karl Rove's book. I read most of Bush's book. I mean, it was you know George W. Bush is what they call decision points. Uh, I called it uh, you know the, the deception points, but whatever it was, it was painful to get through. And then all those phony reviews, I mean, for fun, go on Amazon and read those those reader reviews where the, most of them are very, very short and people just say things like, It got me all choked up with a, <laughs> with the best book I ever read, you know, you think, Who are these people? There's another good story. Somebody should go out there and figure out who those people are because I mean at least the family of secrets, I mean, they seem to be real people and they all say different things and they like it or they don't like it, but they they, they actually seem to have read it. I mean it's that's very interesting to me. But, no, I don't, I don't have time to read all of these things. I, I would like to read Rumsfeld's book, and when I'm in a particularly uh, strong-stomached mood, I think I'll attempt it.
0: <laughs> all right, yeah, this is out the rabbit hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Russ Baker. And Russ is uh, the author of Family of Secrets, the Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. He is also the founder of the um, investigative journalism website, com, where you can find some just really uh, fascinating articles that are going to cover some things that you're not going to find covered too many other places, if anywhere. Uh, There was a piece you had in there recently, uh, Russ, about the uh, American University of Iraq. Could you tell us a little about that?
1: Yeah, this is an extraordinary thing, which, again, uh, sorry, folks, to sound like a broken record, but which you won't read about in the... uh, in the corporate-funded media, uh, the, there's, a, there's something called the American University of Iraq, and the people working there are Americans. I mean, you know, I didn't know anything about that until I heard something about it by chance, and uh, somebody told me about it uh, who had been there, and I just said, "Well, that's interesting. What is that? You know, why is there an American university in Iraq, and what does it do, and is it useful?" and you know, who funds it, and all that kind of stuff. And so we started digging into it. Uh, you can read the article on the uh, in the right-hand column of the site. Uh, it really was pretty astonishing, because uh, it basically, uh, uh, a group of people, neoconservatives, tied in with uh, Rumsfeld and Cheney and uh, uh, Paul Bremer, the uh, fellow who ran the occupation initially, uh, they, they brought these people in, and I basically we tell the story of the creation of this university uh, and the the, the men who ran it, who themselves are extraordinary individuals, one of whom, when he, when he first was uh, asked to come to Iraq to advise on education prior to the creation of this university, he, he bragged about uh, the fact that he didn't know anything about Iraq uh, or about education in Iraq and deliberately did not read up. And he thought this was great that he wanted to see for himself. But I thought it was interesting because he'd been the president of a university in the United States. And, of course, uh, uh, if you're a president of a university, you're always stressing the importance of uh, scholarship. And that uh, whatever it is, of course, we need to do, get our own anecdotal evidence, but we also need to benefit from the... Uh, research of others, and so the fact that he didn't want to do any of that, and so he, of course he came in and was totally uh, blindsided he, he you know took that rum cell thing about everybody tossing flowers. Uh, at the at the uh, invading troops, and so then he was in for a rude shock, which he himself admits. But anyway, then some years later, uh, he, he uh, applies to be the head of this new university they create, and so we tell the story about the creation of this university in a place called Sulaimania, uh, up in uh, the Kurdish area uh, of Iraq, which is a, a partially separate uh, entity, uh, it's almost semi-independent. A very, int- very interesting for a number of reasons, including the fact that it's got a, just a huge amount of oil. Uh, and the, as far as I understand, the biggest uh, oil contract there went to Ray Hunt, uh, a close friend and major financial backer of George W. Bush. Uh, and then you see that the university gets all this money from these uh, extremely wealthy Kurds and you know they're very poor up there the Kurds and so you're these guys who have so much money that they can put 50 or 60 million dollars into this university and you wonder where they get that money uh, and you know a lot of it seems to have to do with oil I don't know that there's any other major source there uh, and so we write about that and we write about the scholarship uh, uh, how they how they interact with the students what the quality of the education is the way that this University, which, which, which seems to have a tremendous number of problems, was fast-tracked for uh, accreditation by a uh, little-known accrediting agency that was set up uh, uh, by one Lynn Cheney uh and so anyway, I don't want to give away the whole thing. It's a long and i think somewhat interesting read. Uh, I hope folks will go to our website who what why dot com and take a look at that
0: yeah, and it, it involves a sex scandal as well so if that'll make you more interested in uh but yeah and, and a lot of this whole thing of this uh this cronyism which seemed to, to in be such you know part and parcel to the whole iraq uh Debacle and' it's over and over again these people who and you mentioned a couple of them there that are just uh connected to uh the Bush family or, or other powerful u s interests and they get these sweetheart deals they get situations where they 're not really vetted and uh, uh yeah it just reminds me of some of the stuff with um uh Jeremy Scahill was on the show talking about uh, Blackwater and and, just all the characters involved there and how it just, uh, it just, it's, if you know, and you go through this quite well in in Family of Secrets, people, uh, you talk about uh, Brownie and how he just, uh, you know, was connected and all the other people that knew the Bush family and got these positions shouldn't have been in these positions and it was, it's almost like, Okay, it's bad enough that they're incompetent, but because they're incompetent, it seems to allow uh, uh, them to be uh, um, conduits for corruption as well. Is that not true?
1: Well, absolutely. In fact, somebody, I was at an event the other day, and somebody put this very nicely, said uh, uh, that war uh, and policy are often just an excuse to do business. And I, you know, it's it sounds it's sort of deceptively simple, but it's really very profound when you think about it. That that's really what you're talking about, and so and so the Iraqis can see this, and the the people up in uh, in the Kurdish area in Kurdistan can see that, and they're fuming. And so, um, by the way, there have been demonstrations in not only throughout Iraq recently, uh, and and particularly in in Kurdistan in Sulaimania, where this university is, students. Uh, uh, in that town are demonstrating against the authorities, against the Americans, and against what they see as rampant corruption, uh, and cynicism that is, is leaving them uh, by the wayside and is, is corrupting and destroying their countries, their culture, their infrastructure. And so we ourselves and people representing us are going in there under the, rubric of you know sort of doing uh, good deeds and helping and fostering democracy and it's entirely Cynical, uh, because these are the same people who never cared about democracy in Saudi Arabia or the Philippines or anywhere else. They, you you can't care about democracy in one place and not and then not in another. It doesn't make any sense. And 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 so these 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 people there in those countries they get it and they know that they are being messed with and they're angry. And we're you know we when I say we I mean the people who are doing it in our names with our tax dollars. They are alienating these people and they're creating. They're actually making things more dangerous for us rather than less. Uh, uh, and, and creating problems all over the world, and so and that's our that's our defense budget. That's supposedly defending us by making people hate us.
0: Yeah, I know, and, and, and so it, of course, yeah, brings up this absurd question, that, that this post nine eleven question: Why do they hate us? Well, you know, one look at at Mubarak's secret police, which this is a lot being exposed now, is all you need to see. And 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 these people know the U.S. was propping up Mubarak. Is it any wonder why they certain elements there would hate us? And uh, you know, and they, they know we're propping up the Saudi government. So if we could uh, talk a little bit now about the Saudi government, because there's some indication that they may even be in trouble. And uh, I don't, even though Barack Obama doesn't have the ties to the Saudi family that the Bushes have, I doubt that the Obama administration would let the Saudis go down that easily so what are your thoughts on that I mean are we going to see some of this take place in, in uh, Saudi Arabia and if that does are, are we as the US going to step up support for them what do you see happening there
1: well I mean as far as Americans go there is scarcely an issue more important than their gas tank so I think it's safe to say that whatever is not being publicly discussed uh, uh, is, be, is the most discussed thing Inside And so I think that concern for uh, control of, stability of, um, regulation of the flow of uh, the oil supply is paramount and is seen as a crucial national security issue inside the government. I'm sure they're talking about it constantly. I know that they're talking about it constantly. And so... Uh, You know, from a practical standpoint, I mean, whether you agree with it or not, you know that they they do have a justification to be concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, you know, at this point, I mean, it's too little too late because uh, we do need until we are able to get uh, uh, alternative energies uh, more in place. And, of course, that has been blocked by these same people. So those of us who've been pushing for that and trying to conserve and so forth aren't to blame here, but but still we are dependent for the moment on these fossil fuels and so uh we do have a stake right now in uh the Saudi oil supply continuing to be available. So that puts us in an entirely untenable position. Uh if there is some sort of revolt and of course with the tremendous anger at the brutality and venality of that regime uh, it's this, I don't know how this plays out well for us. Egypt at least doesn't have much in the way of oil. Uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, 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 a big problem by far, the biggest problem. Libya not supplying us particularly very much. Uh, nothing more important. You know, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, I mean, those are the big, uh, producers. Um, obviously we can see why we went into Iraq. Uh, perhaps anticipating, and I'm sure that was a discussion, that the Saudi regime would be overthrown at some point, and we absolutely needed that Iraqi supply. And, and I'm sure a lot of the threats against the Iranian regime, again, have to do with oil. I think if you take oil out of the equation, uh, the policy changes entirely.
0: Yeah, your point is well taken. I mean, if the the situation is as, as much as we can say the Saudi regime is horrible, if they are completely disrupted, it would just cause chaos throughout the world because of the oil supply being dis uh, disrupted for even a short period of time because they are the the biggest producer, right?
1: Uh, yes, and and, and so uh, if you look over at Iran and Iraq, I mean, what do you see there? You see uh, Iran not only being a a source that is unavailable to us, but you see them playing an increasingly important role in domestic politics in Iraq. And so they're a threat there. And by the way, Sulaimania up in Kurdistan is just a tiny distance away from the uh, Iranian border. And so all of these issues about, you know, does Iran have... Uh, you know weapons of mass destruction I mean sound familiar yeah I'm right. I mean the, the, the reality is that I, I think it 's very unlikely that Saddam ever had the ability or or the intention to launch strikes that would provoke uh, a massive retaliation for the united states and i I feel the same way about the Iranians I mean uh, you know the people like to say things about uh, the the leadership there. Uh, they say things for domestic consumption, but you know are they actually insane I, you know i don 't think so, and i don 't think that they would ever launch an attack on Israel or on the United States because what would rain down on them would absolutely destroy them yeah they 're not going to do it and so and so I understand why you want to keep. Prolifer- proliferation from under control, uh, but you know, as we're now seeing, I mean, Pakistan itself, our our good ally, is just every bit as dangerous, or maybe more so.
0: Mm-hmm. so do you think the uh, the Saudi regime is? Uh... Is reformable? I mean, it seems like that would be the best case scenario, that uh, they would (laughs) sort of change their ways and realize that uh, they they can't keep the people in in that situation forever and to allow them more uh, rights and more uh, freedoms and a little bit more uh, democracy, what have you, and uh, allow the stability and the oil to flow. I mean, does that seem like that's even possible?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, Saudi Arabia has plenty of capable people who could uh, 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 come in and provide leadership, Uh, unlike, let's say, I mean, Libya does too, actually, but Libya has no, it doesn't have infrastructure, it doesn't have institutions. So it's really, you're looking at a vacuum. Saudi Arabia has a lot of extremely well-educated people who uh, are either exile, in exile or they're in the country scared stiff and playing ball, as, as you have to, in any authoritarian, totalitarian society. So, I mean, certainly the U.S. could be uh, uh, exerting pressure for them to start moving in that direction. I think the problem is that the, the, the Saudi royal family itself is so staggeringly corrupt. That And they've, they've been so brutal, and they've done such unspeakable things to their people that they know that, you know, you're talking about a lynch mob, basically. Uh, and, and by the way, again, uh, uh, one of the things about uh, my research for Family of Secrets, my book, is we've got a few chapters in there you may want to read up on the background to the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia and the role particularly of the Bush family and their circle in creating this... Uh, sort of, I I call it a shotgun marriage, I don't know if that's the right term, but this special relationship between the United States and the Saudis. I mean, where does that even come from, and why does that exist uh, to the extent that it does? They really made sure uh, back in the early 70s when folks of a certain age may remember those those gas lines, and what a huge political hot potato that was. And a decision was made, we just, we can't have this anymore. We can't have these, these people can't have us over a barrel. And emissaries were sent over, and they basically were told, to, no, in certain terms, you're not going to do this anymore. Uh, and uh, we, we're going to make sure you don't do it, but we're also not just going to threaten you. We're going to sweeten the pie. You guys uh, are illegitimate here. The people here would love to get rid of you, and we're going to make sure you stay in power. And they, they offered to create a system to train uh, uh, special forces. They called it the National Guard, the Saudi National Guard, to be loyal to them. And they started sending the the princes over, mostly to Texas, actually, to fly jet planes in the same period when George W. Bush was disappearing uh, from the cockpit of his plane. (laughs) uh, a, A Saudi prince was there being trained, actually, to become a very, very good expert fighter pilot. And so they were weaving this relationship. Uh, and then they were also telling them, listen, you guys have all this money, you don't know what to do with it, send it our way, uh, we'll run it through our friends' banks and companies, and you'll make profits, and we'll make profits, and we'll all be happy. Uh, and then they also got them to divert some of it into illegal domestic uh, things like the Iran-Contra operation, uh, which they explained to them was again going to keep uh, the right guys in power in the United States. Uh, and benefit other allies elsewhere in the world. It's a complicated story, but it's an important story for us to begin to understand, because this is the underpinning. This is why people in this country have to keep the Saudis in power and why they have to hide the true backstory to this relationship.
0: All of it well-documented in Family of Secrets, the Bush dynasty, America's invisible government, and the hidden history of the last 50 years. Russ Baker, our guest today. His book, uh, yeah, it's all documented in there. And uh, you just kind of can't help but wonder if a different deal had been made back then, if it, uh, you know, what we might not be in a better place if it had been something more on the up and up, and maybe more of, a, or if at some point, even before that, a deal would have been made with a more moderate. Uh, Regime, if we might be in a much better situation now, but that's that's what where we're very at. Very
1: complicated historically, because then you go further back and you you look at, at at the actual creation of most of these kingdoms. I mean, was by the U.S. and Britain. You know, there was Western powers taking people who were very you know backward. Uh, you know, tribal leaders and 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 making them the favored person to to basically create these modern nation states. So it it, it is a mess that goes quite a ways back. Uh, there's a an interesting story where uh, <clears throat> FDR uh, toward uh, the end of World War II met on a on a ship with uh, the Saudi King, and they basically discussed the importance of oil to the United States. Uh, you know, both to the war effort and to the uh, to the post war. Um, uh, uh, reindustrialization of america, so I mean they were already stuck back then. I mean there are antecedents to all of these things
0: yeah it's it's complicated and needs to be looked at and it's uh it's great that uh, you and uh, other people at who what why are um taking the time to to look at some of the things that uh, some of the uh, historians even are are not uh doing uh, justice to and let's uh we're just about out of time here so I'll have to ask you this again as I have probably the last couple of times you've been on the show uh you know you've mentioned more than a couple of times that we should uh not count uh, Jeb Bush out as a successor in the Bush dynasty and so we have this election a presidential election coming up next year are you seeing any indication that Jeb is going to uh jump into that race
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been saying this for a while, and some people poo-poo it, but since, I think I was on last time, um, you've had this article in, um, um, what is it, Buckley, William F. Buckley's magazine, and they... they, uh, their online thing, they, they they had an article about Jeb Bush, and, and then somebody else wrote an article about that article saying, well, and, you know, Jeb says that, uh, you know, he'll consider 2016, but really he ought to consider 2012. And, I mean, I, I think that's a real trial balloon, and I think that was probably uh, not entirely the initiative of the people at the magazine, uh, but uh, an effort to... Um, uh, you know, coordinated with, uh, you know, uh, with, with but- Jeb Bush's people to make him say, like, oh, gee, well, thanks, but, uh, uh, you know, play, pay the, play the bashful bride. Uh, I think that if Obama is in trouble, I think it's entirely possible that we could see uh, amazingly, and it is amazing if you think about it, uh, an Obama-Bush contest. And certainly, if not in 2012, 2016, we could be seeing uh, Jeb Bush uh running against um, uh, well I, I guess on either ticket whoever wins in 2012 but I mean uh you could see Jeb Bush for example up against um the very very ambitious Andrew Cuomo here in New York who just called me today with a robo call uh kind of strange <laughs> when you're not even running for office at the time uh asking people to get behind him on some of the things he's doing, and you know, basically budget cutting. Uh, but I see that again as uh, him preparing also for a presidential race.
0: So you're yeah, your same uh, stance and don't count uh, the Bushes out. Don't count Jeb Bush out, and uh, that uh, you know, I, I think we see a little bit already of the. Uh, uh, cleaning up of of the bush brand you know it's been a little tarnished because of w but uh he's, little things you'll see about oh this is this is the other bush and uh, the way you know and you know, i think will if he's going to run uh we'll see more of that kind of thing being in the, the in the coming months and uh but uh i think your point is is well taken and don't don't count them out uh, We're we're pretty much out of time here anything else you want to leave us with uh russ baker
1: no but i mean i would just uh, remind of the uh, adage that past is prologue, and uh, I remember when, I, when, I, when Family of Secrets first came out and people said, who cares about the bushes are gone? And I said, not so fast, my friend. Uh, uh, don't write off anything. Because these things are cyclical, and the forces behind that family, and not not just the family themselves, the forces behind them, they're here today, they're very much in play, they're right there, in, in some cases right in the Obama administration, they're playing both sides of the thing, uh, and uh, the show ain't over yet.
0: All right, uh, Russ Baker, again, it's com. You can find his uh, writings and those of other folks at that website. And don't forget his book, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Russ Baker, thanks so much for spending time with us again.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Enjoyed it.
0: Okay, take care. All right, yeah, Russ Baker again. Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and The Hidden History of the Last 50 Years, and that website, whowhatwhy.com. All right, we're out of time. I'll remind you once more the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And you can email me if you want at rglarson at kuci.org. This is Robert Larson closing out today's edition of Out the Rabbit Hole. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 F. FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. Stay tuned. We've got um, Counterspin and Planetary Radio coming right up, and I'll uh, leave you with some music here from Johnny Hickman.